0: Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception, so get ready to give your ears a treat maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. in today's tale, passed away in the year 1806, but what else happened in that year? Well, the monarch of the day was George III, and the Prime Minister, for some of it, was William Pitt the Younger. On the 5th of January, the body of Horatio Nelson, 1st Viscount Nelson, lies in state in the painted hall of Greenwich Hospital London. On the 9th of January, he is given a state funeral, an interment at St Paul's Cathedral in London, attended by the Prince of Wales. On the 23rd of January, William Pitt the Younger dies, aged 46, at Bowling Greenhouse on Putney Heath, of a gastrointestinal tract complaint, and is succeeded as wartime Prime Minister by his cousin, Lord Grenville. The 20th of March sees construction of Dartmoor prison begin to house prisoners of war. And on May the 30th, the future president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, fights his second duel, killing a man who had accused Jackson's wife of bigamy. July the 12th sees 16 German imperial states leave the Holy Roman Empire and form the Confederation of the Rhine, Liechtenstein which is given full sovereignty, leading to the collapse of the empire after 844 years. September 25th, and Prussia issues an ultimatum to Paris, threatening war if France does not halt marching its troops through Prussian territory to reach Austria. The message does not reach Napoleon Bonaparte until October 7th, and he responds by attacking Prussia. And lastly, November the 15th, the Pike Expedition. During his second exploratory expedition, Lieutenant Zebulon Pike sees the distant mountain peak while near the Colorado footfalls of the Rocky Mountains, which is later named Pike's Peak in his honour. But today, we'll be talking about a man who stood head and shoulders and sometimes waist above all of his peers. We're talking about Patrick Cotter-Obreen, the Bristol Giant. Word of the Week. And this week, my friends, I proudly give you the word... Baldrick. Now, any fans of Blackadder will know that this is also a character that's been put upon in every series. But the word actually has a meaning of its own. It's a belt worn over one shoulder that is typically used to carry a weapon, usually a sword, or other implements such as a bugle or a drum. The word may also refer to any belt in general, but this usage is poetic and archaic. In modern contexts, military drum majors usually wear a Baldrick. Patrick Cotter O'Brien was born the 19th of January, 1760, and was the second of only 22 people in medical history to stand at a verified height of six feet. That's two meters, 44 centimeters. When he was spotted, Patrick was working as a bricklayer in the small medieval town of Kinsale on the West Cork of Ireland where he'd been born. He was 18 years old and ideally equipped for bricklaying. He was up to eight foot, eight inches tall and could reach a cottage roof without a ladder. And he had hands so large that they rendered a hod obsolete. In fact, you can see how large they were because one of his supersized gloves is at the center of an eccentric exhibition this summer at the Head of Steam Museum in Darlington. Sir so Patrick was spotted in 1778 by a travelling showman who realised he could make far more money in a freak show than he could as a brookie. Patrick's father was then approached by the showman who paid £50 per annum to be allowed to use him in exhibitions in England for three years. So Patrick came to England and adopted the stage name of Patrick Cotter O'Brien in the Sideshow Circus claiming descent from the legendary gigantic Brian Borrow. Details become sketchy, but it appears as if the showman then attempted to sublet the right to show Patrick to another. This is something Patrick objected to. The showman then charged Patrick with a fictitious debt and he was thrown into a sponging house in Bristol. At this time, Patrick was still only 18. Soon after, a visitor to the sheriff, William Watts, a local businessman and philanthropist, met Patrick and heard his tale, and thus succeeded in having him freed from jail and, more importantly, from any obligation he might have had to the showman. William Watts went further and provided him with funds to set himself up as a showman, meaning he had total control over what he would and would not do and how his image would be portrayed. Patrick made his first public appearance at the Full Moon Tavern in Stokescroft, Bristol on the 19th of July 1783, and it Indeed, it appears that he made his home in Bristol whilst travelling around the country, appearing at various theatres and fairs. He became a popular attraction at the St James and Temple Fairs in Bristol, and on the first occasion that he attended a fair, he made £30 in three days. There is also evidence to suggest that he ran a public house in Bristol called the Giant's Castle. Patrick became known as the Bristol Giant. And the irish giant there was another giant at this period charles Byrne, who also claimed to be in o'brien then he toured the country making his fortune just by being extremely lanky more about him later because patrick cotter o'brien was soon one of the most popular fairground attractions and not only toured local fairs but traveled to london where he appeared regularly at the St. Bartholomew's Fair. The advertisements for his appearances claimed that he was nearly 9 foot tall, although he always showed a reluctance to be measured. In 1785 he appeared at a show at Sadler's Wells Theatre and delighted the crowd by shaking the hands of the audience in the upper boxes. Word on the Street. And this week, we'll be going to Drury Lane in London, on the eastern boundary of Covent Garden, running between Aldwych and High Holborn. This street has been in existence as an early medieval lane, referred to in Latin as Via the Aldwych, which probably connected Sir Giles the Leper Hospital with the fields of Aldwych Close owned by the hospital but traditionally said to have be been granted to the Danes as part of a peace treaty with King Alfred the Great in Saxon times. It acquired its name from the Suffolk barrister, Sir Robert Drury, who built a mansion called Drury House on the lane about 1500. Over 200 years, it declined into one of the worst slums in London, dominated by prostitution and gin palaces, The area was eventually cleared to make way for the developments of Kingsway and Oldwich. The term Drury Lane is often used to refer to the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, which has existed in the street since the 17th century, even though today the main entrance is on Catherine Street. And another little fact, the Muffin Man resided on Drury Lane, according to the famous nursery rhyme. Now back to our tale of Patrick Cotter O'Brien, who later appeared at the Haymarket Theatre and made a tour of Wales in 1794. Although totally uneducated throughout his career, he showed an astute head for business and was soon quite well off. With property in Bristol and a house in Epping Forest, Audiences paid between one and two shillings to attend his shows, and illustrations and keepsakes of the Irish giant were highly sought after. He drank only in moderation and was known as a witty and generous host, soon building up a wide circle of loyal friends. In 1804, he put on his last London show, and a Mr Blair, a surgeon who visited him, estimated that he was around seven foot ten inches tall, Blair also noted that Cotter was in poor health and recorded his lack of energy and feeble pulse. He would later write, His limbs were not very stout, especially his arms, and I judged that he had scarcely got the use of them for, in order to lift up his hand, he seemed obliged to swing the whole arm as if he had no power of raising it by the action of the deltoid muscle. Another tale about our giant entertainer, he had the bottom of his stagecoach lowered to provide himself with more legroom. Once a highwayman got the shock of his life when he stopped a vehicle with normal looking occupants, only for a giant to uncoil himself from out of the floor. Needless to say, our highwayman left empty handed. Cotter's health was in serious decline, a fact supported by pictorial evidence of him at the time. He retired in 1804, having made more than enough money, and lived in Hotwell Road, Clifton, Bristol, until his death on September 18, 1806, aged 46. It's believed that he died from the effects of the disease gigantism. In his will, Cotter left £2,000 to his mother, and a request that his body be entombed in such a way as to deter being dug up by anatomists. As you can imagine, there wasn't a hearse at the time that could accommodate the length of his casket, which was also encased in lead, and his remains were borne to the grave by relays of 14 men. Now, Mr Panning, the undertaker who was in charge of O'Brien's funeral, stated that the coffin was so big at nine foot five inches that five men could get into it with ease and have the lid placed on top. There were also some emblems on the coffin, signifying that O'Brien had belonged to the Masonic Order of Knights Templar. Patrick was encased in three coffins, the outer coffin being over nine foot long, and was then buried in a 12-foot grave with iron bars in the lobby of the Catholic Chapel in Trenchard Street, Bristol. Cotter's burial took place at around 6am in order to discourage onlookers, but a crowd of over 2,000 people still gathered to witness the internment. His memorial tablet read, Here lies the remains of Patrick Cotter O'Brien, a native of Kinsale in the Kingdom of Ireland. He was a man of gigantic stature, exceeding 8 feet 3 inches in height, and proportionally large. His manners were amiable and unoffending, and the inflexible integrity of his conduct through life, united to the calm resignation with which he awaited the approach of death, proved that his principles were strictly virtuous. He died at the hot wells on the 8th of September 1806 in the 46th year of his age. Requiescat in pace. Patrick's wishes for his grave not to be disturbed lasted almost 100 years until March 1906 when workmen accidentally discovered his coffin whilst laying drains. His remains, after being measured and photographed, were reburied. But before that, scientists managed to get a hold of the bones. And they found out that Patrick was a pituitary giant who later suffered from acromegaly, which is a rare condition where the body produces too much growth hormone, causing body tissues and bones to grow more quickly. There was other evidence of gigantism, including malformation of the skull and an enlarged cellar turcica. He also suffered from osteoarthritis. In 1972, his remains were exhumed again and were examined and it was determined that, whilst alive, he stood approximately eight feet zero inches or 244 centimeters tall. This made him the tallest person ever at that time. A record that would be surpassed by the next eight footer, John Rogan, who died almost a century later. An entry in the gazetteer of October 1786 mentioned Patrick's marriage to a Miss Cave at St Pancras Church, but there's no further mentions of a wife or children in any other source, including Cotter's will and parish records of the period. The Blades Castle Museum in Henbury has a collection of material relating to him, including a shoe, his spectacles a huge chair and his 53-inch walking stick. In 1986, during a redevelopment in the area, Patrick Cotter O'Brien's remains were again identified, but this time they were cremated after a church service. Let me just tell you a little more about Trenchard Street Chapel which no longer exists, although it was Bristol's first post-Reformation Catholic Church, pioneered by Lord Arundel as one of its sponsors, initially for private use. It stayed open until 1871, after which it was closed and converted into a school and meeting room for the Catholic Chapel of St. the Quay, a short distance away. The former church survived as part of the St. the Quay parish property, until 1978, when it was sold for redevelopment as housing. The Trenchard Street facade was kept and the rest demolished in May 1981. Today, the former church entrance opens into a pleasant courtyard and there's steps that rise to another doorway which survives. From the road though, it seems nothing has changed. And considering this was a time when City Planning Department had let a number of other buildings disappear, Having a fairly ordinary late 18th century façade kept in situ is to be commended. If you go to the North Road Railway Museum, you'll see a poster which advertised Patrick's appearance in Bristol, where he was especially big, in July 1783. It finishes with a line four inches taller than the noted Byrne. This refers to Charles Byrne, a rival Irish giant who had come to London in 1782 for a battle of the big men. The fame and wealth quickly went to Boone's head and he turned to drink. Silas Neville saw Byrne at an exhibition on July 4, 1782 and said, Saw Byrne, the famous Irish giant in whose person nature has exceeded her usual limits in a most astonishing degree. His voice sounds like thunder, and he is an ill-bred, disagreeable beast. One day, in June 1783, while drunk, a pickpocket relieved him of 700 pounds. To console himself, he drank himself to death in his Charing cross rooms. He was only 22. But his sad tale doesn't end there. Before his death, he had already been hounded by Dr. John Hunter, keen to do tests and experiments on Byrne. So, Byrne asked his friends to take his body out to sea and throw him into the murky depths, where no one would be able to conduct experiments on him. Unfortunately, the undertaker had entered into an agreement with Dr. Hunter, and whilst Byrne's friends were drinking at a certain stage on the march seawards, He speedily substituted Burns' remains for paving stones and had the body sent to Hunter in Earl's Court, London. There, Hunter boiled the body to obtain the bones. The skeleton was on display at the Royal College of Surgeons in the central wall case on the east side of the large museum. Next to it was placed the skeleton of the Sicilian dwarf Cerulein Kuchami, who at 10 years old was 20 inches in height. And my last nugget of information for this show, Ukrainian Leonid Staduk, age 39, is currently the world's tallest man at 8 foot 5 inches. He weighs 32 stones and has 17 inch long feet. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. today. Boffins in Bristol have discovered that spiders are the only web developers who love finding bugs. Back in the day facts. Back in the day facts. start with the 30th of July, 1863, when President Abraham Lincoln issues his eye-for-an-eye order to shoot a rebel prisoner for every black prisoner shot. On the 31st of July, 30 BC, the Battle of Alexandria took place. Mark Antony achieves minor victory over Octavian, but most of his army subsequently deserts, leading to Octavian's invasion of Egypt. On the 1st of August, 1834, the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 comes into effect, which abolishes slavery throughout the British Empire. Also on the 1st of October, but in 1963, Coolio, an American rapper and actor best known for his 1995 hit single Gangster's Paradise, which appeared on the soundtrack to the 1995 film Dangerous Minds, was born. On the 2nd of August, 1798, we have the Battle of the Nile. The British Royal Navy, under Admiral Horatio Nelson, annihilates the French fleet. On the 3rd of August, 1914, British Foreign Secretary Edward Grey famously remarks, during an address on the eve of the First World War in Parliament, the lamps are going out all over Europe. We shall not see them lit again in our time. And lastly, on the 4th of August, 1693, is the date traditionally ascribed to Dom Perignon's invention of champagne. Well, I fear that means it's the end of my time here with you. But don't worry, I'll be here, same time, same place, next week. And my stars for today's show include Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, Steve Roberts from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, and Ray from the podcast Being Bookish. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.